Welcome everyone to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. We're excited to be recording this episode in Austin, Texas, uh, during the ACC's 2018 annual conference. This is the second year we've recorded at the Association of Corporate Counsel Conference. Uh, my guest, Chris Green, knows that well because he was a guest at our podcast last time at the ACC. And we're excited to have you back, Chris. I'm glad glad that you're here. Well, thanks for inviting me. This is truly an honor to come back and do this again because I enjoyed it so much last year. It was really the highlight of my conference last year. Well, thank you. We appreciate you saying that. And we uh, certainly got lots of listens to the episodes. So I appreciate you doing that. I know you wear a lot of different hats at Canal Insurance. Your titles are Senior VP, <laughs> Chief Claims Officer, General Counsel, Corporate Secretary. Surprised you even have time to eat, yet alone uh, spend time doing podcasts. So I appreciate you uh, taking some time to be with us today. Well, again, it's my pleasure. And I'll refer anyone who hasn't listened to last year's podcast to please go out and find it and listen to it because what we talked about last year, which I think is very important, is just how to uh, have more span of control and how to be part of the business making decisions in your companies and don't just act like or just be the lawyer all the time to be broader than that. And I always say, you know that you've gotten that sweet spot when you're sitting in business meetings and the business people are asking you business questions, just not legal questions. And so I do wear a lot of hats uh, at Canal. The chief claims officer role is fairly new. I've been doing it now for about 16 months, and that is a big job in any insurance company. But it kind of underlines what I was saying last year, that if you really make yourself part of the business where the board or senior management is, is looking around to try to find somebody that can run a big part of the company, and they look at the lawyer and say, let's let him do it. So. I think it's a great point and a good reminder. Uh, in fact, our listeners, uh, one of our recent episodes, one that we recorded here at the conference, was with Amy Devonich. She is the general counsel of Keller Williams. We were talking about some questions about contracts and contract review, you know, and she said the same message, which is, once I realize I'm helping them actually negotiate a better business contract, I'm not just a legal barrier, that all of a sudden there's buy-in and they're willing to bring it to legal instead of just a box that they have to check. And I think that that, that sounded the same note that you sounded last year in the podcast. Exactly right. And I know some, uh, some general counsel and companies get that reputation of, some people will call it the department of no, or mm -hmm. you know, they just always have a bad experience. I try to do the opposite, try to be a, a player with the business. And that has worked out very well for me at Canal in being able to do many more things beyond just the, the four corners of the traditional legal department. No, I think that's great advice. And what we decided to do this year is something a little different. Um, instead of a kind of a broad GC role, we want to talk about something that's exciting that Canal's doing. You, you announced earlier this month you're going to use Predictic Analytics with your largest business line, commercial auto liability. As I understand it, it's a cloud-based system that's a product of guideware, software, using some of these new things that everyone's talking about, like machine learning to deliver predictive insights. There's certainly a lot of buzz around AI, and I think there's some AI that's not AI. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about that. So I think it's an area where you know in-house counsel are increasingly 
being told, hey, we need to get into this, we need to explore it, but there's also some reservations about what's it really going to do. So I think this topic today is a great way to kind of get an understanding of what Canal's doing so other GCs can get a sense of of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll say early in my career, right after I left private practice, I, I went to work in-house for another insurance company. And that company was so data-driven, they, they recognized way before any other insurance companies, the importance of data and analyzing that data and making decisions based on data. And that insurance company is a a name you would recognize. I won't say who it is, but they have just been enormously successful through the years with really cutting edge stuff on how to pick the right customer and things around their claims organization. So I, early on in my in-house role, I got a really strong appreciation for the importance of data. And um, when I got to Canal, there certainly were a lot of buzz about the Internet of Things and AI, and and we started looking into those things. uh, Because we're an insurance company and it's important to price you know, the policy's the right way because eventually you collect premium, but then the losses come and you have to pay money out and it's a constant balancing act is really what it is. And so if you can make sure that you price your product correctly using analytics, and this is what actuaries do, is exactly that, determine how much they need to charge to make that return and be able to pay out the claims that will inevitably come. And so we've always used data and some predictive analytics on the underwriting side with risk selection and determining how to price the product. This new thing that we're doing with Guidewire is a similar predictive analytics where you are using it in your litigation. So it's after a claim is actually made. Yes, Uh, and it looks at it in the early stages of the claim and it will help you, will tell you basically the reserve that you want to put on that. It will tell you whether it's going to turn into a bigger claim than you think it is. And it, you use it for a lot of segmentation. Uh, so uh, normally the claim would go to this junior person, but because of the model, it says this claim accelerated to a more senior person. Uh, sure. And it, it also will do some uh, average paid analysis and budgeting, and it will do a lot of things. It's just, it depends on how you want to use it. I mean, the once you build the model, there's a multitude of things you can use it for that are just really cool. Uh, well, that's exciting. And uh, let's just spend a minute digging into it a little bit. Obviously, one of the big variables on a data analytics program is where the data is coming from and how good it is. Is this using just canal data or is it uh, more industry-wide uh, When you're analysis? building your own, uh, it's a great question. When you're building your own predictive models, you use your own data okay. uh, using some data scrubbing technology. They went into our claim system, scrubbed basically claims adjuster notes that they typed in and scrubbed them for keywords and so forth. And that's kind of the elementary way that they built the model. You see what pops up. They tell you how credible it is or not. Uh, you use your own common sense a little bit when you're tweaking the model, but uh, but it's very interesting. So the idea is that the software is based on your history, what claims blew up, and maybe what were the indicators it was going to blow up. Exactly. So that it is flagging now, hey, 
this new claim that you just got in has several characteristics similar to the claims that blew up five years ago, and we're going to tell you that now so you can manage it differently. Right. If you had, and this would be impossible, but if you had a room full of really smart claims and legal professionals that basically looked at every claim as it came in and applied their background and knowledge and experience in a collaborative way to make a decision on that claim, but again, that, that just wouldn't be practical. And this is what the model does, is it basically takes that, that data and takes the human element out of it because we all, we can't remember what we don't remember, but it looks at venue and all the other things that you want it to look at as well. So how predictive is it? We'll see. And I'll say while we're gonna turn it on in early 2019, we're not just going to turn the keys of, to the castle over to the to the machine. <laughs> right. uh, and that's one thing I'll say is... <laughs> Can it turn it, itself off or is it going to have its own power supply? Right. We joked before about Skynet. Yes, and, no, you know, I think Skynet, right. Uh, and so we'll run it parallel with how we normally run our claims organization and handle our litigation. Uh, and we'll run it parallel for the actuaries, say, two years. I, I feel like it should be more like three. And so we'll really get the bang for our buck as the model proves itself out. And that will take a few years. So what was the legal department's role? Did you, I assume you were involved in the contract with, for the development. Are you also, are there other legal issues that you had to deal with as you moved in this direction? Well, there's obviously the contracts, but this was a, one of our key vendors that we've had a relationship with for 15 years. Uh, and before we started negotiating the contracts even, we wanted to see from other Guidewire customers who had already implemented this, we wanted to um, see how it was doing for them. And so Guidewire was excellent. Uh, got us in a situation where a team of us flew up to Chicago and spent the day looking at another insurance company and how they were using okay. this tool on a daily basis. And they basically just opened up the place to us. And it was That's great. Does Guidewire great. focus on the insurance industry or do they do other industries as well? It is a focus on the insurance okay. industry, but they offer a multitude of products that are um, They'll do a policy issuance system for you. They'll do a claim system. They'll do a billing system. They have a whole suite of, of great products, but it's all targeted to the insurance industry with a heavy, heavy analytics uh, focus. Uh, through it. You guys have been doing business with Guidewire for a while, and that this newest piece is actually going to be integrated into uh, the, the claim system, which they call Claim Center, catchy name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, it's just a, a Guidewire a few years back saw that this was coming, the importance of, of analytics and data. And so they made a really smart acquisition of a kind of a think tank of a bunch of smart uh, number crunchers. Eagle Eye Analytics was the name of it. They merged it into their operations, and so they've been, for the past few years, rolling out these add-ons to their tools that would do these more sophisticated analytics and, and predictive analytics. That's really interesting. It sounds like it's a little different than your standard software contract in terms of a contractual standpoint. What are, what are some of the things that were different? And I, I'm particularly interested, as, as fellow GCs start trying to do this kind of thing or automate, you know, use analytics in their business more? Are there things as a as in-house counsel that you can help protect your clients? Well, and, and I, you know, I'll say you don't have, unlike traditional software agreements, 
you're not so interested in where the data is because the data's in your cloud, um, and you are concerned about just the mechanics of um, service level agreements around because the, the the model is constantly updating. It's driven to you know continue to learn right. from what happens, and so we have smart IT people at Canal. But you know we'll need the vendor. We'll need Guywire's assistance to continue to update the model. So that's that's just part of it. But unlike a software license agreement where data may be sitting somewhere else, uh, you don't have to have those those traditional data protections built in. And so it, it, it sort of is more or less a, a more basic contract. Uh, I'm, when I ask about pricing, obviously I don't want you, I don't need you to share yeah, any the actual that, pricing. But. Is it? Can you share the structure? Is it a monthly, like a subscription fee service, or do you pay a development fee, or is it both? How? how what's the general structure of these deals? I'm not sure I can answer it. I, I guess I'll answer it this way, because we have been a long-term client, really an early adapter of the Guidewire products. We basically have a, a contract agreement that nobody can get now. So, uh, and as they added on these other packets um, for different types of analytics, for instance, they they have one I, they have one I mentioned that um, will do segmentation. You should give this claim to this person versus that person. Uh, they have one that will identify which files have subrogation opportunities. So we haven't we haven't turned on all of them. They'll come in gradually, and some of them are still being developed by Guidewire. But we just negotiated a we'll take all of it for one price, and we'll uh, merge those into the systems as they uh, we'll kind of beta test them for them. So there's been a lot of talk that some of these analytics or artificial systems will end up replacing human employees. And is that going to be true with the Guidewire system? And is there pushback from, you know, employees from from your claim managers, for example, saying, oh, my God, you know, Guidewire's replacing my job. I, I won't need to assign claims anymore. Guidewire's going to do it. There was some of that. And this is why when we got the opportunity to go to Chicago and view this other company and how they were using the system, we took some of those kind of old school claims people with us because we wanted them to see that it's not really replacing what an adjuster does, but it makes it more efficient and frees them up to do other things. So that I, we see it as a big plus for productivity in our organization. And I think, you know, as these things continue to get better and better, it purports to be a lot of AI assistance out there now for contracts how good they are, how uh, how far along th- that is to be developed, I don't know. I, I don't know that you'll ever get into a, the AI will replace a lawyer. I don't think that will, I don't even think it will re- replace your paralegal or other support staff. I just think it makes them more efficient in what they do. It's interesting because there are still limits to the what the computers can do. There are still, we were talking earlier about 
computers translating written language uh, from old books and uh, that computers, because of either the actual script, the handwriting, or because of the paper or combination of various factors, isn't great at identifying those words. And so to speed that along, there's been a process of having people identify those words. And I think what was interesting about, you know, in, in our conversation about that is that there will be stumbling blocks for computers. And so... I would imagine with the claims and certainly with uh, legal work, there will still be a point at which the computer hits a roadblock or is, here's the best guess. Um, And so a human expert is going to have to interpret that data. They're going to have to look at that and make that interpretation and and make a decision. Well, and I I think this is, you raise an excellent point. And I think if you, so we're here at the ACC meeting. It's great. Uh, I love Austin, uh, one of my favorite towns. But you go down to the exhibitor hall, a lot of vendors. ACC has been fortunate to attract a lot of exhibitors and vendors that come to this meeting. Uh, the exhibitor room is packed. I'd say a good third of the vendors there are selling some type of AI Probably. for contracts. Or, yeah, no, or, it's remarkable. Or, yeah, you, you, it really it's, is. It is. It's the latest thing. Yeah. Everyone... Either has it or wants to claim they have right. it. Right. Well, it, because it's cool. And uh, uh-huh. but my point, and it really is exactly what you're saying, is uh, you can do this. You can have this. It'll make things more efficient. But you're still going to have um, at some point in that pipeline, in that transaction, whatever, the need for human eyes to be on it. While I think of the AI is great, and some, you know, I've read studies, you've probably heard of studies where uh, they say the AI, uh, the error rate is better than the human error rate. And that may be, but, you know, trust but verify. And this is why I say with regard to how Canal is rolling that out on the claim side, we're going to run it parallel for a couple of years and just make sure that it's doing what we think it's doing. Because that's it, the way to eliminate that margin of error, right? right. Is, is If it's correct 95% of the time on its own, if you then have humans verifying, right. you're able to reduce that extra 5%. Right, uh, because the machine will learn... And so you get that error rate to, you know, 98 or 99.5 or whatever. Right. You're better off. You're further along. And, again, the technology is going to be great. I know a lot of guys who drive Teslas, they don't take naps while the car's going down the right. road. I mean. Right. <laughs> the idea of doing it parallel, you know, one with the new system but also the traditional, was that, was that your idea? Is that a legal yes. department? Yeah. So, in, in fact, so that was uh, something you said is legal. Let's, let's not go exclusively on the analytics because how we set our reserves on claims uh, how we uh, strategize to pay out on certain claims that impacts the bottom line of our organization and and guessing wrong is detrimental hugely detrimental as a lawyer i'm trained to be a little risk adverse and so well uh you know the actuaries are, are saying let's turn it on tomorrow no, no <laughs> right. we're not going to do that. And we'll be able to see in a couple of years if it's really doing what it's advertised to do, which I think it will be. I think it. I think it's going to be good. And I'm curious to hear from both of you from a legal standpoint, and obviously in general terms, not specific to um, the company that you work for or, or the firm that you work for, Mark, but in general terms, what are your thoughts, concerns about 
the liability that you are taking on with implementing these AI systems and giving them, you know, obviously the the ideal situation, right, is that you're you have an AI that does things, and now you you know you you have a robot that mows your lawn, and you can go take a nap. You don't have to <laughs> like the Jetsons, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. You know, you don't you you can take a nap in your car. You don't have to stay awake and let it drive yourself. Of course, that's we, we should not do that at all. Right. Um, and so I'm curious for as attorneys, well, what what kinds of thoughts have you had about that that liability end of it and, and sure. Sure. yeah well it, it scares me to death but also I think downstream and everybody talks and certainly with the autonomous cars and even the AI as opposed to if somebody gets involved in an automobile accident now that's a human that did that and that's the traditional theory of negligence that that person did something to harm this other person when you have self-driving cars, when you have AI making decisions, it shifts that and it's no longer the human error or the negligence, the, the standard basic negligence that you have. Uh, it flips into a product claim at that exactly. point. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, Chris. I think it is a products liability case. Mm -hmm. And I did an article that looked at uh, claims on uh, surgical robots and uh, because they were developed a while ago, and a lot of it is it's where the doctor can't make the microscopic movements, so right. he's making larger movements, and you've got articulating robots do it. And there have been claims where those robots have not worked the way they're supposed to, mm -hmm. and so surgeries go wrong, and it is generally a product's liability claim. You know, and right, people are there are uh, a lot of robotic lawnmowers that are mowing today, and they're programmed to do it at night, so they minimize interaction with others. So you are people are sleeping while their lawns get mowed today, but it's not a full answer to simply say products liability no. because that system has come around the product, and a lot of times, right? In, because in, in what we're talking ways, about here, talking about a product, with guidewire, right? there's not a. Right. Well, with AI, you're you're that's right. Like the to get you know into the area of Isaac Asimov and science fiction, but we are obviously we're that's the, where we're heading. Is it with AI? Well, now are we talking about a product or are we talking about a something else? Not an employee, but a, a third thing. And the product liability, the, the product claims situation. I wonder if you then go well. It wasn't our algorithm. It wasn't our software that failed you. It was your teaching, right? Because it's a learning, right? This is about learning, learning machine. Right. And you were a really bad teacher. And, and that's why I think it's, to your point, Mark, it's not going to be the traditional product liability claim. I think the end result is going to be that any litigation, even a simple case where it's this person against this person is going to get more complicated because you're just going to be adding parties and trying to figure this out and kind of, you know, the uh, who's on first, what's on second kind of thing because there, as you add all these complexities with technology, uh, I mean, look at any heavy tech claim that you see now. There's already multiple parties in there. This, this one did this, this one did that. And I think basic old school kind of traditional cases again where it's just me versus you because I did something and you got injured uh, just you're gonna have more parties in the litigation it's just gonna be more complicated more time-consuming and unfortunately more costly 
And there's discussion of trying to capture AI in some kind of no-fault regime, a little like workers' comp, right, where people were getting injured and, and there were lots of lawsuits against employers. And then there was a decision, we really, the main concern is we want to make sure that injured uh, workers get compensated. And we don't want to spend enormous time deciding whether it was really the employer's fault because right. the workplace wasn't safe, because we want the worker to be compensated anyway. So you have workers' compensation, which basically says, you know, if you were injured at work, you don't have to prove that the employer was negligent, you get compensated. Right. And there's some no-fault, particularly around the world, there's a few states that have a bits of it where auto is treated the same way. Exactly. You don't have to go to court to figure out who is at fault. Uh, insurance covers it regardless of whether you're at fault. You basically get insured for, if I get in a car accident, my medical bills get paid for, my car gets fixed, and you don't have to spend money fighting about it. And there's a thought that if we want to promote AI, bring it under this no-fault umbrella and you don't have to spend a lot of time worrying about it. I think the opponents of that idea say there is a corrective force of litigation. You know, the same reason we allow class actions against companies and right. stuff is, to some extent, if you don't have a mechanism to, you know, encourage people to act correctly, they'll do whatever they want. So we create these liability schemes to say, we don't want the drug manufacturer giving us dangerous substances and so right. know, we'll allow lawsuits. And I, I agree with you and I would love to see that pushed forward, that it is some type of a no-fault paradigm. And there are those opposing sides that will say, well, let's just let, like any other new thing, we're going to let the courts kind of ferret out and create the case law that, that will uh, go for everyone. Because what I do know is the plaintiff's bar, they're going to want another pocket, especially if it's a tech big pocket. Right. Uh, lots of insurance, whatever. So they'll fight that. And, and historically, they've had a much stronger uh, lobbying effort than we on the defense side. So. Yeah. I would be interested to see if it, like, if it starts to develop into almost like to reflecting some of the, the law around uh, temporary employees, almost. You know, the, when you're um, okay, Mark, uh, is a bad idea. I'm sorry. No, no, well, that's okay. I'm just, I just don't usually think of an AI system as an employee or even as a contractor. Um, because it seems like, I mean, because that's the, it, when we get to the that level, or the real level of machine learning, not just, you know, right. uh, processing. Where command the data. It's literally, <laughs> it's literally taking, you know, someone was talking about autonomous vehicles again, and I'm, I'm probably doing a terrible job of paraphrasing this, but they're talking about the the kind of the difference between AI and a saw well-produced, developed software program is AI with a, an autonomous vehicle, it's been told, this is a person, this is a person, this is a person, this was what a person crossing the road looks like, this is what a person crossing the road looks like, and it, a person crosses the road in front of it, and it stops, and then it goes down the road, and a dog crosses uh, the road in front of it and it stops. It's never been told what a dog crossing the road looks like, but the machine learning has processed that a thing on legs crossing the road. It's made that connection. And that's that's true AI. That's where you've now machine learned to identify right. a problem that is similar to other problems, but is not the exact same problem. Well, you have a very interesting take on it. Mark and I are sitting over here thinking this is more of a product liability issue, and you're saying the AI, the robot, um, 
is you know more akin to a human because it is continually learning and adapting. It's a very interesting theory. It is. And yeah, I mean, the one autonomous vehicle that drove through the side of a truck. I mean, it it did that because on the side of the truck was uh, it looked like a landscape. Um, wow. And. The car said, well, it looks wide open, so it kept going and plowed right into the side of the truck because, you know, that's, that's what you get. This is why you don't sleep when you're in the uh, autonomous cars. But uh, And at the end of the day, like, that's the, the goal is to not only have a system that will say, you've, you've given me all human, you've given me all of the factors that I need to be aware of, and you've told me what decision to make for each one of the factors – we have that now. We do that all the time, right? Right. The uh, AI is, we've given you lots of different factors, and we've also taught you how to apply these things to other types of problems. And so now when you are approached by, or you're, you face a problem that you don't know, I'm giving you the autonomy, the authority to make a decision. And that, I think, is the interesting point where it diverges from what we've dealt with before right. in, throughout history and when particularly in business it becomes this question of well then who's at fault there like it and you can make the I, I think there would be would be interesting for the company that owns the develops the the AI to say well our job is to provide you the robot your job to teach the robot correctly which is really you know it's like almost you get into that kind of area of like you know we our job was to create the human body thing and it's your job to parent it and so (laughs) if it goes astray you know who's to blame it's very interesting and i think you're going to see the resolution of all this accelerated because the technology is coming so fast now you guys are young i'm I'm older, and when I look back at just the technology in my lifetime, it's overwhelming when you actually start thinking about it. Uh, it's just going to continue to come faster and faster, and the legal system will, will adapt to it like they've done with polio vaccinations or whatever else. I mean, sure. there's always the next thing. You know, when cell phones, my first cell phone was... In, in that bag that you carried in. Uh, and there was a lot of talk about, well, it's gonna be eventually gonna get brain cancer from having that on there. And there were cases filed, but that, you know, they resolved and the product improved and there were some plaintiff attorneys made a lot of money and, but the world kept spinning and, and here we are, so. Right, now everyone's got one in their pocket. So. Right. No, it, it's true, I do think it's interesting. Well, and it's exciting that Canal has embraced the, the technology and the change. I think sometimes there's <clears throat> more resistance, and I think it's great that you're you're at a company willing to, you know, to say, hey, this can save us time, money, make it better at what we do. So it's a very gonna, exciting gonna, time, and we're I, embrace it. I think you're going to see this in lots of different industry. The investment side of companies have been using predictive modeling for a long, long time on picking winners and losers. And so uh, I think it's just the next natural evolution of where can you use it next, where you can build some efficiency and some greater productivity. Um, We'll see. Great. 
Sounds good. I think we're about out of time. Any final tips or suggestions you want to give the next company that is going down the predictive analytics road? Well, I would say uh, go with a vendor you trust. Understand how they're building the models because it's the models are only as good as the people who are building them and creating them and making sure that they're updating and updating. And from the legal standpoint, if your company's moving in this direction and if they're not, they're going to be behind their times pretty soon, get involved. Make sure you you know go in and study up on this stuff. It's fascinating stuff. I'll close where we started. Uh, don't be the guy that's in the room, the guy or the girl in the room just sitting there waiting on the legal questions in this company or the next company, wherever you go, go out and seek that information. And then when the discussions come, you'll be more informed. And that's when you shift that paradigm from just the lawyer to being a real business partner. Terrific. That is great advice. And it really is exciting. I mean, I think it's, I appreciated you sharing going and visiting and how that changed the impression of some of the people too. I think knowledge can be power and can give people a sense that this is exciting, but it's not going to, I'm not going to lose my job. It's not going to take over the company. I yeah. My, my dad would say this is real scary times, but I find it fascinating. And if you don't embrace it, you're going to get left behind, I think. So. I think that's great. Well, I appreciate you returning to the podcast to share that. Um, and those are good tips. If listeners want to hear more or find out how things are going at Canal, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, I'm happy to always talk with anyone. Go to um, canalinsurance.com is our company website, and you can find me there under the list of officers, and you feel free to call me or email me. Always happy to talk to other lawyers. I think that's very important. And the beauty of organizations like the ACC is that you, you can network, talk to other lawyers and other companies, talk to lawyers in great firms like yours, Mark, and, and just really be more informed. Uh, it, that helps everybody. Great. Well, thank you. And I think this has been a, a super topic for people to, you know, that are thinking about getting their feet wet or the company's getting feet wet. I think it's great to actually see what's going on and hear about it. So I appreciate really, it. Really, really enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, please invite me back next year. Well, I, we, we've enjoyed the ACC, so you, we will take you up on that. Uh, you may become a, a regular contributor because I, I think it's terrific. So I want to remind our listeners that they can subscribe to the In-House Roundhouse at iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Uh, You can also find our previous episodes on the Wumblebond Dickinson website. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out others, including those we are recording here in Austin. If you feel so motivated, you can also give us a review on iTunes. So thank you listeners for listening. I look forward to seeing you at the next station.